Hello and welcome to this episode of the coaching podcast from British Canoeing. Welcome to the coaching podcast. My name is Pete Catterall. I'm the talent coach developer for British Canoeing. Uh, and in, in this uh, session, I'm really pleased to introduce Paul Smith and Dan Wilkinson uh, to talk about, well, all things coaching really. It's going to be adventure sports coaching. It's going to be cross-discipline stuff, uh, and they're going to talk about a really exciting project that they've been doing uh, during lockdown part one and part two. So um, what I'd really like is uh, if Paul and Dan, if you guys can introduce yourself, maybe we'll start with, with Paul. Um, give us a bit of a, a brief of who you are and what you do. Let's start, let's start with that. Cool. Uh, so my name's Paul Smith. I'm a multidisciplined red sports coach. Uh, spend a large chunk of my time probably dealing with climbing, climbing related stuff, but also still spend some time in a boat uh, and, and getting out and, and doing things in that, like, uh, in that context. Uh, my background is uh, a teacher, so working in secondary education. Uh, and as part of my PGC, I had to start going uh, boating. Uh, and I didn't like it, <laughs> but then I slowly got better at it and slowly enjoyed it, and uh, then went on to, to to get to where I am now with it. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Paul. And, and can you tell us about yourself? So um, I currently live in Kendal in Cumbria, but I grew up in central London in King's Cross, which is not the most obvious place to start a paddling career from. Um, <laughs> But uh, there's a couple of really good youth clubs on the canals in London, uh, the Burnham Boat Club and Islington Boat Club, which is where I used to go and hang out as a kid. And they had a trainee scheme to teach us to become instructors. And uh, so I went through that program with them and then failed my A-levels, spent a few years bumming around and doing different things. And then I went and did a, my level three coach, as it was then, the old white, which would be the new whitewater kayak coach training course at the Brennan, and realised that there was a potential to have a career in the outdoors with the people that were working there on it. So, yeah, very rapidly after that, uh, went to the Lake District, did a degree in outdoor leadership, and then moved to North Wales for a decade. And uh, I currently work half-time for myself, and I work half-time for the MOD, teaching people to be adventurous training instructors as well. Brilliant. Okay. So you guys got quite diverse um, starting points. I, I, the question I haven't told you I'm going to ask you, but it's just sort of uh, popped into it. How, how do you guys know each other then? So you've got quite a good working relationship. How do you know each other? Cool. So we actually met doing our Level 5 coach training at the Brennan, uh, probably 2006, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that sort, of, that sort of time frame, um, and so yeah, that's that's where we met. That's where we uh, sort of first first knew of each other. Didn't really hang out that much after that, did we? For for probably probably nearly ten years. But again, we've got similar groups of friends, so we ended up working with each other and uh, and uh, collaborating with each other with a, a few little work projects, and whether that was some boating stuff and also some climbing stuff. And um, and it sort of went from there, really. Oh, I, thought, I thought I was going to get credited with being part of that bromance then back in the Level Five class. That's that's cool. It's good, it's good to be part of something that's, that's blossomed over the years for sure. Okay, so uh, you, you both describe yourselves as, as as adventure sports coaches. So um, 
you know, a lot of people were here, you know, sports coaches and uh, outdoor pursuits instructors and all those kind of terms that get banded around. So what, what, how do you guys define what an adventure sports coach is then? It's not, it's not actually our definition. It's one that came out of uh, the work that Lowell Collins did um, with some academic studying. So uh, briefly, an adventure sports coach is someone who coaches sports that people take in for the enjoyment of activity rather than for defined competitive success. So that's quite important. And, yeah. it, and it means that the people's success that they're taking part in is something that's personal to them rather than something that's defined externally. So it's not getting a medal or placing somewhere on a table. It's, I managed to do this grade three today or I managed to paddle my first 10K um, it it could be getting a medal though, or something because you know some of the disciplines that we are associated with as adventure sports coaches, things like slalom, things like indoor climbing and competition climbing, they they fit onto the sort of the edges of that adventure sports um, sort of what's the what's the right word spectrum, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So you, there's a bit of a. Lowell, I've had Lowell on this chat and, and chatting about it. It's good to get his take and your take now on it. That yeah, there's a bit of a grey. Some of them fall into the grey area. So you know, is slalom an adventure sport? Is slalom an adventure sport because it's got rules? It's got all the things that you might not describe with, with classic adventure sports. So so do you guys see there's a bit of a grey area in some of those as well? Then? Just um, I'm just going to take that further and uh, that. We don't necessarily, to be defining ourselves as an, as an adventure sports coach, just be teaching people to be better at the sport that they want to do as well. There's like three areas that we kind of broadly fall into when we're working. And as an adventure sports coach, you probably find yourself flitting between all of these areas. So some of the stuff comes out as working with people for personal development gains as well. And some of the stuff comes out with just taking people out for an experience. Yeah, yeah so, sure. As well as the kind of classical coaching, but in an adventurous environment sort of definition. Yeah, yeah. and, and Lowell, Lowell talks about the fact that adventure sports coaches generally kind of play in the sport at the same time because of you know going on the journey, whether it's on skis or, or in a boat or on a bike or whatever it happens to be. I think there's there's definitely a difference there, isn't there? They're not on the sidelines as a traditional coach might might be seen. I think it's something that Lowell talks about quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. The, the, biggest, the biggest element normally is if you think about normal sports coaching, the coach is stood on the side, not actually really participating in in the activity. But we need to normally participate in the activity because we've got to either maintain a safety margin, which uh, could be something that we've got to deal with. And yeah. provide safety cover for all the people that we're working with, because we're taking them into a, an environment that's just that little bit too much, too exciting for them potentially at that moment in their development. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take that somewhere different as well. Then, so does that does that mean that if you're going to play, if you've got to play alongside your your participant, that their progression is that limited by your ability? Then, if you have to play, How it can be. That? Yeah, yeah, it can be. Uh, it can also be an enabler as well. 
uh, to a certain extent. You know, we've we've got to have that safety element there. That's yeah. that's it's quite important. But we've also we've got to be able to perform to cover it for them. Yeah. Four seconds. So do you have, do you have the door. Yeah. <laughs> do you have workarounds then for that? So if you've got people that are really wanting to push in a, any particular sport that you guys coach, and we'll come on to what those are in a minute. But do you have do you have workarounds that if you are going to be pushed above your own personal ability that, that you can make you can still enable learning to happen in a safe way? Yeah, picking picking environments that give you lots of options. So it might be a river that's got some that harder rapids on that it might be that we inspect and set safety and let people paddle, or it might be you know, doing one of the other activities you do, like going climbing, it's quite easy in a climbing environment to be able to drop a rope down a route that's probably a couple of grades harder that we could lead, but still let them have the opportunity to feel the moves and get on something a bit steeper. Yeah. It's more about having the, the understanding of what they need to be doing and how you can support that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So coming back to, you know, you guys, you've already alluded to the fact you've worked, you work in the mountains and on rivers and... Uh, on bikes, I think as well, and skis and all sorts of stuff. So, do you, do you see any difference between those when you're coaching those? Do you see much of it? Do you use different tools? Are they completely different methods of coaching? How, do, how does that work? If you've got five, six, seven different ways of that you approach each sport, what, what, how does this all play out then as multi multi discipline adventure sports coaches? So, so for me, coaching's coaching. It's it. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is. I'll be able to interact in a relationship with the people is the more important part. But underpinning that is that technical understanding of the sport that you're actually doing. So if you can get good at coaching one thing, those processes that you use, those relationship building tools, the, the options, you can transfer quite easily to another area as long as you've got the understanding of what it is you're going to teach. So this is something I've been pondering quite a lot recently. So um, if I'm working on the river or somewhere like that, I'm quite happy to let people have a, multiple goes at doing things and multiple fall-ins or attempts at surfing a wave or whatever it is. But then uh, I was reflecting on this. So I was working out in Canada last December teaching ice climbing and it was 20 minus 20. <laughs> So obviously there wasn't that much opportunity to just let give people the, the ability to just try things multiple times and go over and around. So I definitely think that the change and the change in our stru strategies for coaching, coaching is coaching for sure, but the change in the strategies has to be matched to the environment and the participants we're working with. So it's, it's perhaps not changing it because of the sport, but it's changing it because of where we are and the, the constraints that that gives us. Yeah, and I, 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 that's where I can see, if I link back to a lot of the work I do now in competitive sports, that's exactly the same, the difference between coaching in a training environment and coaching in a competition environment where you've got to be really on point and you haven't got time to really experiment with, well, go and see how it feels because that's, you know, their, their big chance. So, yeah, I like I like that way of it is it depends on, on, you know, the environment, the person and the task. It, it, that's, that's kind of that classic way of looking at it so what what are the what are the similarities between the the way you coach things then what is, is that is that what you're talking about there is that the same you use that methodology across all of it you 
you've got to, you know, like Dan said, it's the environment that's going to change depending on what's going on. You could be working in Scotland in winter and be all sort of memorable, as it were, on the on the way up a route because we're sheltered from the weather. And then as soon as we go, know we're getting near the, the top of the Cairngorm Plateau, for instance, and we know it's, it's almost gale force winds and everything's a bit grim, um, it might be the point where we switch and go, right, actually, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to do this. And we'll be very dictatorial at that point until we can get to, you know, 11.41, which is the spot height on the side to get off, at which point we might be then back in shelter and we can go, right, guys, what's the best way of getting off from here? Yeah. And we can go back to more coachy style stuff at the so right time. It's like you've got your, your switches between being a coach and a guide or a leader and you're kind of playing on and off on and off with each one depending on exactly like you say depending on the environment and, and what's often in, in adventure sports a changing environment in front of you that you've got to be aware of all the time and the other factor that comes into that us switching our behaviours and choosing different strategies and things is what the participants motivations are for being there you know this is I will definitely adapt my behaviour to match the motivations of the people that we're working with. Um, some One of the things that has been really nice to think about and explore a little bit more in the project we've been working on is thinking of the four kind of vague motivational things that people fall into, whether that's uh, exploring a new something, a new area, a new concept, a new whatever it is, embedding, to the, they might come to you wanting to embed something into their practice, so it's something they've had a play with and they want to refine that. If they're looking to excel in their sport or they're looking to tune their performance because they're not, they don't think their boost quite working right or something, they're looking to really excel at that. Or just to go out and have a nice time and enjoy themselves. Yeah, and, and, yeah. So again, it's coming back to understanding that the person in front of you and that's something you know in all the coaches I, I work with and have talked to on these podcasts it, it keeps coming back to that that you've got to understand who it is in front of you what they want from it so is there ever any conflict in that then so Paul you were sort of talking about you know top of the, the Cairngorm plateau or, or uh, I'm sure we could come up with a, a paddling context whether it may be on the sea or something and you've got you've got somebody with you that really wants to work on their skills but it's right at the top of their environment where what you really want to do is take over and just lead them to somewhere a bit safer. But you know that it's that that's the opportunity that, that they really need, but it's going to really, it's right on that margin of what you're willing to let them explore and what you're willing to, you need feel like you need to take control with. Yeah. So the element that you've got to also take into account there is if you let them have a go and it goes wrong, how badly is it going to go wrong? Is that going to put them off? full stop so we've also then got this factor of where they are in their dependence and independence spectrum so how dependent are they on you or how independent they actually are or could be but then there's this actually if i let them do this now at this moment in time it's going to scare the life out of them so therefore i'll be di I'll, I'll dictate how we're going to deal with this or we'll go the other way and go actually yeah, actually, I can pick up all the pieces. I'm happy in myself in this environment to, to, to deal with it. Yeah, let's let's give it a go. Um, you know, a good example, good example from a, a sort of a white water thing would be working in the Alps in the summer. 
Um, who's that? <laughs> God, right. So um, we'll start that one again, eh? Um, so yeah, we, we basically just don't want to scare them. That's the key bit. Um, and that damage that we can do by pushing them too far too quickly when they're not ready for it in that exciting environment could potentially scare them. You've just got to talk to the university students that go out to the French Alps and go and charge down things and are doing all right. They're slowly and slowly it's running out underneath them and they're starting to go, oh, yeah, we'll we'll jump on this grade three. And oh, 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 now I've actually had a swim. Now I've realised the consequence of having to swim on Alpine grade three. I'm pretty scared. I don't want to go back. <laughs> and so, yeah, certainly, certainly working with some of the university groups in, in the Alps over the last couple of years in particular, you know, we might start off being very guidey and going, yeah, do this now, do this here. And then as that time progresses, because we've got time, when I'm normally working with the, the, the one particular group for sort of two weeks. So on the first day, we can do something gentle. And then the ones that are actually better, we can go do another section that same afternoon or, or the same evening and do something harder and then slowly build it up. So by the end of that two week process, everyone's generally boating pretty well on continuous grade three in the Alps, which given that some of them will have their only experience of white water, will be doing something like the dark loop in low flows. It's a big step up. An inspiring place to go and paddle. You know, if you, I always think if you can paddle Happy Grade Three, the Alps is, you know, French Alps is going to be a cracking place for you. Um, yeah, I think yeah, you basically. Yeah. It sounds like you're talking a lot about you know you, you want that challenge to be enough that excites them and gets them to that that you know the top of the curve if you like into um, Marianne's fuzzy yeah. fuzzy area, um, but it's got to be backed up with with support as well from and you've yeah. got to know how to if you have got to pick up any pieces you've got to have skills as a coach to be able to do that like like yeah. any coach you know like even, even you know the slalom and the sprint coaches i work with if someone has a bad performance they they've got to have the skills there to be able to pick up those pieces and rebuild that that athlete you guys have got to have those skills as well yeah is that so dan's back in the room now so is that something you you'd echo dan yeah completely it's a um... And it's making sure that the level of challenge, it's like the Goldilocks concept, isn't it? The level of challenge needs to be just right for that person. And that that's definitely linked to our personal ability as a coach. You know, so if I'm somewhere I'm really comfortable with, and even if the participants aren't that comfortable with it, I'm much more likely to let them have enough freedom to explore different ideas and different ways of doing things where if it's somewhere that is a little bit more challenging or is quite consequential is the other one so it could be a benign environment but somewhere quite consequential like crossing a glacier in the alps i'm probably going to have quite a tighter control over them and what they're doing and what they're doing and how they're doing it yeah and, and do you back that up with quite a lot of sort of preloading of why you're going to behave a certain way as, as a as a coach and then review it afterwards of why you guys might take control at certain points a little bit more and why other times you might, you know, it's all about kind of giving and taking a little bit, isn't it? That I always think it's like flying a kite, I think, <laughs> sometimes. It's, it's like I just let it out. It's yeah, it's, it's context. It's, it's the context, isn't it? It's 
knowing what the motivational factors are of that person. And like Dan's already said that, you know, are we there to enjoy ourselves? Are we there to explore in bed or excel in what we're doing? We're gonna we're gonna have to operate completely differently on all of all of those components. Yeah. Um, go on, Dan. Yeah. I've got a really clear example of this in my mind. So uh, I was running a an Alpine mountain leader assessment. So this is assessing a couple of people to be able to lead around in the mountains, in the in the Alps, in the greater ranges and things. Um, and we were on a route, and the idea was that one candidate led half the route, switched over at the halfway coal, the next candidate led the other half of the route. At the switchover point, an unforeseen hailstorm happened, so the entire route turned from being pretty benign rock route into a slippery death slide of horror shows. And at that point, I th <laughs> this wasn't preloaded, I just took control and started getting us off the mountain because that was what needed to be done there and then. So, but what I'd actually preloaded was entirely different for the day. So not being able to change that preloading is also really important if something else changes around. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you could probably find loads of examples on the sea as well, sea kayak guiding, where, you know, the, the, the weather systems come in a bit higher than, you know, earlier than you thought. Uh, I've certainly had it whilst guiding on, on rivers abroad where, Changing colour pretty rapidly behind me, and things are rising pretty quick. I've definitely had some some moments where I go, okay, we're going to change style here. That's what we're going to do. Um, so yeah, I think it's about that flexibility, isn't it, and not being stuck in one way of doing things as, as coaches. I think. Yeah. Some really, I think you've, you've given us some really good examples of why your experience as a practitioner really backs up your ability as a coach, but also that. Again, that understanding you brought up a couple of times, the, the motivation and what you're there for. Why you, why have you gone into that environment in the first place? What's the learning you can pull out of it? And I, I think even those moments, Dan, where you do you do have to kind of completely change the plan and rein it in, if it's reviewed well, there's still some great learning that can come out of that for, for everybody, including ourselves, I think. Um, uh, it's uh, you know, the classic, classic one. I remember working on uh, an ML training. And it's always that classic one on summer mountain leader course of when when is it too much winter? <laughs> so yeah, right. what is the cutoff between summer and winter conditions? And we're out and we're on on, on Carnedi. There had been some snow. We started off on the first part of the the journey that we'd planned, and then we just got to a point, and it was just like, look, we can't dodge snow patches anymore. We've got to walk on proper snow. It's turning to sheet ice in a few places. We've not got the equipment. I'm changing the plan and we're going off in this direction. Yeah. And and we, we, we adapted what we were doing. For the candidates at the end of that day, when we reviewed it, that was the biggest bit of learning. Yeah. We keep losing you a bit there, Paul. Let's see how well Dan knows you. Can you fill in the rest, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> for the candidates that was the biggest piece of learning from the day so they realised that they didn't have to stick to their plan they could just switch and adapt their performance how's that? nice one I'm pretty sure that's what Paul was going to say we'll see if Paul comes back to us in a sec but um, we'll, we'll carry on chatting because what I want to do is um, is move on to um, a, a project that the two of you have been doing so this might be all down to you Dan unless Paul can fly back into his Wi-Fi zone um, but 
during lockdown, you guys have been on a, a bit of a project. I, I feel lucky enough to have seen this from from the start. So I've, I've definitely had some sneak previews because it's been in the next room, basically. Um, but you, you've, you guys have written a book together as well. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the ideas for that, how that came about, and the, and the sort of process you've, you've gone through to get there. Uh, and we've definitely lost Paul for the moment, so we'll, we'll stick with Dan and see when Paul comes back. Um, so it's, it's been a big project. It, writing writing a book is not something I ever thought I'd do, and definitely not something my teachers ever thought I'd do when I left school. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so the both... Both Paul and I work as coach educators in various sports. So I do a lot of work for British on British canoeing coach courses uh, and some mountain training things. Paul does a lot of work on mountain training courses and some British canoeing things. And one of the things we've noticed over the years is uh, a couple of things actually. A lot of candidates seem to turn up with the, a few fixed ideas about what what coaching looked like to them that perhaps didn't match what some of the academic work and things have been talked about what coaching looks like and that there was no really good and the second one was there's no good resource out there to support these people as they're developing from going on a coach training course through to attending a coach assessment and then beyond and developing as a coach beyond that um like the last thing and i still reference this occasionally like the british canoeing coaching handbook is the last thing and that's probably 15 years old now at least since it came out so the, the world of coaching and research into coaching things has moved on and what we focus on in coach education course and things has moved on. So it's been an idea that we'd kicked around and uh, discussed on and off over the last few years. And in fact, you helped us come up with a chapter list. I don't know if you remember that Jeep ride in uh, Nepal, Pete, when we were talking about this. <laughs> I remember many Jeep rides with you, with you in Nepal. I think we spent more, it felt like a coach trip rather than a park trip. Right? <laughs> yeah. It was a bit older, Pete. Yeah, was, it, was it a saga coach journey around Nepal? That's, that's what it was. I was just looking after the kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we were kind of chatting about what, what you'd want in a coaching handbook nowadays compared to maybe what we'd had before and things. We came up with a rough chapter list. Um, and then like, we had that in the back of our minds for a year or so. And we were like, oh, we really should find the time to. And then all of a sudden, the whole world stopped in March. And, and it was like, this is the, you know, like, the clouds parted, that ray of sun came down on the idea and was like, this is the moment for this idea to kind of take fruition. And Yeah, so uh, we took that chapter list and we started writing, really. And, so, so whilst everyone else was sat in their gardens enjoying the sun and thinking, when will this end, you guys decided to, to sit in the room and write a book? Basically, yeah. Um, we we just finished trialling some work that Mountain Training had put us together to uh, asked us to do, which is all about helping develop teaching and learning in their providers and their award holders. And the final part of that, we just trialled that at the start of March. And the final part of that was uh, Guy Jarvis had asked us to write a series of articles for Professional Mountaineer. You know, summing up that teaching and learning. And... Uh, so we sort of, I've just finished writing some sort of articles on uh, dealing with being scared. Right. And then we sat down and we wrote these uh, these articles for the Professional Mountaineer. And we basically sat down in a two-week block, we wrote all of them. 
Yeah, we did them, and all that happened was we sort of decided what we we're going to talk about. I would do my writing my bit that I was writing. Dan would write his bit. We'd swap over at two in the afternoon, have another phone call in the evening, and then review it, and then the following day make the changes. And we just did that, and we very quickly sort of did these articles. And then with those articles, with some other stuff that we'd done in the past and the sort of I'm, I'm scared series that we wrote, we went, yeah, this matches what we, we put in the, in the chapters of the book originally. You know what? Let's do it. And, and that's what we did. Brilliant. Brilliant. It was certainly easier um, during the first lockdown when we were told you could only go out for one period of exercise and all this sort of stuff. So you'd, you'd sit there and write in the morning go out and have your little bit of exercise whether that was going for a run or a mountain bike ride in the woods bit of training for me on the indoor climbing wall at home and then back to writing in the afternoon and yeah we did it we did a hundred well it was 110,000 words in 80 days doing that and then we faffed around quite a lot with it (laughs) (laughs) i know that (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, the other real the other really, really great thing that came out of lockdown was because everybody was locked down. So what we managed to do was, after we'd written some content, we could reach out to various coaches and people that we knew in different disciplines and ask them to just give us a little story to add some, like, to illuminate how this academic theory or background theory looks like in actual practice. So one of the things I've really struggled with, I just did a, I've just finished a, a master's in the British Canadian Coaching Diploma. And one of the things I really struggled with, with all that academic writing, is it's it's all like very much like this is what this did, but it didn't tell you how to use it. It doesn't say anywhere this is what this might want to look like in practice. Go and try these ideas and then refine them for yourself and where you work. It's just like this is a concept, and then it stops. And really struggled with that because that doesn't help. Well, it definitely didn't help me understand what exactly they were talking about. So we were able to reach out to a load of different people. I think we ended up with over 40 stories that illuminate different areas of the book. Yeah, and that's, you know, I've been quite vocal over the years about, not about academia, but about the way it's presented and the way it's not necessarily accessible to a lot of of people unless you're that way way inclined. That's what I liked about the, you know, I haven't read the whole book yet, but the bits I've read is what you've written is, uh, really accessible to people, and it's not it's not dumbed down in any way at all. It's just written in a, in a language that 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 I know I could open that book, read something, and then they'd also somewhere in there I'd find an example, of it and that's how I can use it. I think you're absolutely right there. Pretty keen to talk to you guys about that because I think that's it's something that that gets missed if if all we do is give people academic papers to read. They've got to kind of yeah die for this that's written in a very specific way. Uh, and then try and find the learning for themselves. Whereas you guys, like you say, I mean, how many contributors did you say you've had there down that have been working? Over 40 people have like put forward little stories and things about how they might use reviewing in their coaching, what how they might work with people to do some goal setting, how they might think about motivation or how motivation's changed for them. So they're all personal stories, and they're all really short, so like people have only been asked to write a few hundred words for it. But Yeah. But it's really brought. I think that's. I think that's been a real stroke of genius in there. That that's really brought things to life, and it's and it's taken it, you know, beyond you two as well. You know, there's two brains there that have got, you know, 
vast experience, but then you've opened up to 40 others. Uh, I know you've had some other people proofread it and, and sense check your own thinking as well. So it's been a massive collaboration. Is it your thing? Are things that have come out of that really challenged the way you approach your own coaching? Is it been a challenging experience? I can see people laughing, so I'm guessing it was a challenge. It looks like he's about to cry if I bring it back to him too much. <laughs> Not quite that bad. It's what was really interesting is because we both got different backgrounds. They're similar, but they're different at the same time. And we've worked with similar groups and worked with different groups. Um, and so when we're trying to access some of these academic papers and trying to make them, um, let's say, uh, readable to the general coaching population, or, or, or at least uh, that the general population can understand what it is the academics are talking about, we then questioned what we did ourselves. So one of the first things I can think of that we had both completely different views on was observation analysis. Right. So, you know, if you look in the way it's traditionally presented, it's like a funnel and it's holistic, deductive, analytical. And that's the sort of traditional way that it's there. And we, we had several big discussions about which way round we actually thought it should be. And I was like, well, to be, you know, deductive, you've got to have loads of experience. So, we can't say deductive for a novice coach is actually a useful observational thing because they've got nothing to base it on. So there we're going observational, uh, sorry, going holistic, analytical, and then maybe when they've got some experience, they might be able to go, oh, yeah, this is the reason why. And then Dan was looking at the other way, and in the end, we've decided that actually, depending on your skill level, you can go holistic to deductive or analytical to deductive because what you're doing with deductive really is you're going, I think it's X, but you know what? I'm still going to have to test it. So you always end up going holistic, deductive, and then potentially being analytical to prove your deduction. Or if you've gone the other way and have had to go analytical first, you then test it and then you go back to being analytical again. Which is certainly different how it was presented to me in the first case when I was learning to coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I know myself. It used to be taught as a very linear kind of process, and and I totally agree that you know there's times where yeah, I'll, I'll really analytical first and then test it by putting it back in a holistic setting and go, has that has that worked? Is that what I've, what I've seen? I think there is no better way in and out. I think you're right. It depends on the experience. It depends on a lot of the time. It will probably depend on the the skill or the technique you're looking at as well. So, Dan, did you want to come in on that? Uh, not not necessarily in on in on that discussion. You know, we we had a lot of talk and like I'm fully I'm now fully on board with where we've got to with it, which is that it all happens and what order it happens in is a bit irrelevant as long as you get to the right point. <laughs> um, the, the the biggest I think for me the the biggest challenge and. Uh, thought-provoking stuff that's come out of writing the book there's been a couple but one's about um, managing practice so making sure that the practice we're setting is entirely like fully 100% relatable to the task and what that person's working on and the theme you're working on through the day Uh, and then the other one the, the other really exciting idea that came out of it that I hadn't really thought about was this concept of span of control and how many things I can be focusing on at once. 
and I guess I I think that's something that I was naturally doing anyway. But just being able to put it into words has really helped me understand how I'm doing it and what I'm doing it and where I'm doing it. So, yeah, yeah. And I think that that purposeful practice is something you know. That's again, that's something I've I've done a few recordings with with uh, Dan Goddard in Slalom about how he um, how he really thinks about what gates he's going to set because he knows what the outcome he wants from the session, or he knows what challenge he's trying to give his particular athlete. It's not just a random thing. He's really it's really thought through, and that, that's something that yeah, I totally believe that's a really important thing. That we're not just uh, we're not just setting tasks. Because the bit of river or the bit of trail or whatever that's presented itself in front of us it's, it's much more purposeful and you know sometimes those opportunities do come up and you go winner but it's normally well thought out sometimes it's a gift but but it's normally really well thought out and purposeful yeah i think that's really important yeah. which which is interesting as well because when it comes to looking at how certainly some coach education is done at the lower end of the spectrum so the novice coaches it's often like right plan something and they're like, but we don't know what to plan. And it's like, right, well, what do you want to get as the outcome? Oh, we, we don't know because we, you know, I'm, I'm, I've certainly gone around and changed how I've been delivering training at a coach educational level, particularly at a, an entry level point. I've going, the first question is, what do you want them to be able to do? What is the outcome? Yeah. And then taking that outcome and then going, well, what are the component parts of that? And then getting them to design exercises that take the component parts and then create them into a learning experience for them. Um, so there's very few things we do as adventure sports coaches that are just one-off, quick-hit type things that haven't got loads of other components to them, and that gets lost. Um, yeah. So if we take, um, I don't know, let's... I don't know, something, something random. Um, some, some, you know, any, any complex skill that we're trying to do, a bunny hop, for instance, on a mountain bike, you look at all the actual components that go into a bunny hop, it's no wonder people can't bunny hop on demand when they need to by the trail. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, not, um, so, break it down and then... Yeah, yeah, and then it creates quite a nice learning process. Uh, something that Sid mentioned to me you know a couple of years ago that i've sort of used all the time now is this whole idea of situational awareness and decision making what we're trying to do with the people we're working with is to improve their situation awareness so then they can make the right decision you know it's yeah. it's tactics really in most adventure sports what we're actually doing is teaching people to make tactical decisions um that will cross over to um competitive sport as well really easily and yeah, sure. this whole idea of get them, get them to notice stuff, get them to understand stuff, and then get them to predict an outcome before having a go is is sort of where where I've gone with it. Yeah, uh, you know, we talk about that a lot in Spartan, for sure. You know, that mm. being able to pre-plan for what's going on and you know, what is a tactic to get down that course is defined also by the techniques they've got and you know, the skills they've got in their armory. That if they haven't got those, they can't they can't make good decisions and they can't make you know, I, I talk about, I, I stole this from Jules Fincham, I can't take it to him at home, but the AAA plan, you don't have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C, you have a plan A, and if that doesn't work, you go to the other plan A, because that's the next <laughs> thing to do. It's not a bad plan, it's got to be a good plan, because that's the only option you've got, and if that goes wrong, now we go to the other the other plan A, which is still the next best thing, so 
I don't like grading them as A, B, and C. I took that from George, and I thought that was a really good way because you're always doing the best thing. It's always yeah. the best thing. It might not be the best thing you wanted to do, but it's the other best thing at the time. And that's based off, you know, that, that, you say, that, that, that situation. That fits, nice. that fits nicely. Yeah, it fits nicely to sort of white water kayaking, you know, recreational white water kayaking. You know, people, you see it at the trail, for instance, all the time, they've got one set way of getting from one eddy to the other. And when it doesn't quite work because the flow is slightly different or there's a few more people around than they expect, it goes out the window because they haven't actually varied their practice enough or thought of other ways of achieving exactly yeah. the same thing. Yeah, so like coming into things in different timings, different speeds, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So any other? Um, I'm just aware of time and how long I've been keeping you boys now. So uh, any other reflections on you know the process of writing the book and how that's that 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 sort of you know affected you over the last few months? What of a better word? The the motivation of doing it with somebody else was massive for me. Like I don't think that I'd still be on the introduction. Had there not been someone else working with me, <laughs> you know, still have your crayons out. You? Yeah. <laughs> After I've got them back from you. <laughs> yeah. So, like, having somebody else to work with on a big project was really beneficial, and that's something I think I'm going to take in more into my coaching as well. So, like, making sure that if I'm doing really big things, I'm work, trying to work with other people rather than doing it all myself. That's a really interesting idea that's like half formed how to do that in my head but that's something to explore um, uh, I think following on from that Dan it's something that comes in early on with normal coach education as well you know you are put in front of a group of people who you know you are the expert and if you don't know what to do and how to do it then then you're not a good enough coach at that introductory level if that makes sense but then when you move further up the educational chain of coaching you suddenly realize well actually i'm a specialist in this area and i'm not going to do that bit of work i'm going to send you to to pete catchell because he knows about slalom i can do a little bit of getting you to, to start with moving the slalom boat around but actually the rules i'll send you to somebody else and we've become a bit more open with that as well um you know you look at professional level uh, olympic level coaching or whatever their standard is it's not about one coach there's a team and it's the same same with this of the right in the book you know that community of practice sharing ideas is is massive yeah and if you're if you're operating in your own little bubble um then you often go off on a little tangent that may be completely different to everyone else's thoughts um you know there's a whole host of stuff that's really interesting to read about that called the normalization of deviation uh, and that's about you going off in your little bubble on the side and that becoming the norm, whereas in reality, that's as far from the norm as you are actually getting. Yeah, I, I think there's massive strength in that, Work, working with others, being challenged by others, and, and you know, just accept, none of, it, none of us know everything. You know, I work as a coach developer, working with some phenomenal coaches across that, that pathway, and I've got all the answers to give them, but I'm going to help them find the answers. You know, I've learned math. I've been in post a year outside even uh, during his first year but, but not very much the learning journey just worked with another really diverse bunch of coaches is it's been amazing so i can see that you would have gone through that just in the process of writing the book as well i think that's that's really interesting 
So we, we'll start to wrap it up then. So um, just give us a, what's the name of the book? When's it out? Uh, and who should buy it? That's, I'm going to let you have a plug. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Uh, everyone should buy it. Everyone should buy two copies. <laughs> so it's called, the title's Coaching Adventure Sports. Um, it's out in three weeks or so. So we're hoping to have the copies in our hands on the 15th of December. There's been a little bit of a delay with printing because everyone's trying to get their books printed before Christmas and stuff. But um, we're going to have it in our hands 15th of December. And then we're already taking pre-orders. The best way to do that is to jump on Facebook and go over to Adventure Sports Media House, which is our publishing company, and then click through from there. That's Adventure Sports Media House. Brilliant. That, that, that's, that's enough of a plug. I'll let, I'll let you have that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, it's been, uh, it's been brilliant chatting to you. It's been, been good seeing the, the book evolve over the last last few months in, in the, the bits that I've seen. Um, so, yeah, I hope, good, good luck with that. I hope it, I'm sure it'll be a really, real success. I think it's a really, really valuable resource that, that a lot of people have. It looks like it's going to be a good Christmas present. There's some good time in there for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so no, I wish you all the best with that, and uh, I'm sure version two will be out in a few years. Yeah. The revised edition. Well, interestingly enough, one of the things we wrote in the entry uh, in the in the intro was, "Don't be surprised if it says something different in on the second edition, because things have changed, yeah. will change." Yeah, and, and I think that's you know that you've talked about earlier about reflection and how your mind have changed, but that's it, isn't it? And there'll be things in the book that people will agree with, don't don't agree with work for them don't work for them and i think that's that's the beauty of coaching is it's not it's not a fixed parameter thing it's, it's open to interpretation and it's you know people talk about the art of coaching i think i think that's what that that's going to really help people develop that that art of coaching so yeah thanks thanks for putting that book together but also thanks for your time this afternoon uh, and you're both really busy obviously at the moment um but, uh, yeah i hope you've been well during lockdown and um, yeah thanks thanks for your time Thanks, no Pete. Worries. Thanks, Pete. Cheers.